Welcome, guys, to episode 37. What do we have in store for today, David? Welcome, welcome. We have an altitude episode. So a little bit of catch up, some sports news, and then we're diving into the effect of altitude in general, the effect of altitude training. Does it help the physiological effects, some metabolism uh, as well in there, and then maybe some firsthand experience that I've been uh, had the displeasure of of enjoying this past week. <laughs> so, yeah, that's it's going to be a good one, I think. I hope you enjoy it. There you go. So, welcome everyone again. Thirty seven. He's David. I'm Matt. Let's jump right in. How you doing, Matt? How's your day been? Oh, You're looking. You uh, are looking just full of enthusiasm. <laughs> I, I had a long day. I'll tell you what, it's the sun. It's the sun. Whenever it gets summery like this, it makes me feel a lot more tired. So I was out for two hours today, just um, doing some SNC stuff, doing some athletic development uh, with some of the athletics team here. Um, so I did some, you know, running drills, speed drills, focused a lot on acceleration. Um, but obviously that amounts to nothing as much as you, big man, with the big athletes over in San Moritz. <laughs> Yeah, things are winding down here. Uh, I'm headed back tomorrow, driving back with a couple with a couple athletes tomorrow to Milan, and then flying back from there to um, East Mids, good old East Mids. I don't think I get back to like ten thirty, so it's going to be a bit of a late one. But yeah, it's been a good day. Uh, yeah, I was on the track, not me personally running, doing some lactate testing for. For an athlete who had a track session, uh, just kind of being there for a couple of the other guys who who had sessions, um, and then went to the next town over because there's some really nice trails, and that's where they always have been doing their like Sunday long runs. And another athlete had had just like a 30 minute run to do there um, this afternoon, well evening. So went out with her did a quick not so quick five kilometer run myself so she was like yeah i'm gonna just run 30 30 minutes and see how far i go i was like that's nice i'm gonna run 5k and just try to maintain under five minute kilometer pace i tried doing that on sunday when i went for my first run no chance my first kilometer was sub five minute pace the next ones were all above. So I think I managed like an average of five minutes and six seconds over the five kilometers. Today, I, I managed 4.51. So 15 Ooh. seconds average faster, which is that's nice. A, that's marathon speed then, yeah? Already getting some <laughs> prep in. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, keep up. <laughs> uh, yeah, but I'll tell you what, like... <clears throat> The first two and a half kilometers felt really, really nice, actually. Like the first like 500 meters, I was like, how am I going to make five kilometers? But then, you know, like the system boots in and you're like, oh, actually, this is pretty good. I'll tell you what, I made the two and a half kilometers, turned around, was running into a headwind, which doesn't really affect me at all because I'm running so slow anyway. But the last two and a half kilometers sucked. (laughs) It hurt. And I think because I was going like quite a bit quicker than last time. So my body for the first two and a half were like, yeah, this is fine. For the last two and a half, we're like, what are you doing? So Mate. I try to make a but little. It's not I try a bad to, pace to run though, is it? Like what? Like, what do you mean? 
like it's it's it could be worse at least it's like a fresh environment you know when you've done the same route yeah, like yeah. 20 times and then yeah. you're like oh, here comes the 2.5k yeah yeah oh it's gorgeous you're like in this you're in this massive valley huge mountains on either side of you you yeah. right you run right along this like river and all the all the snow's melting so it's just crystal clear the water it's pretty incredible not that i can see it because i'm i've got like my i'm crying there's sweat dripping into my eyes i'm see i'm seeing stars everywhere <laughs> mate, taking it all in i'll tell yeah. you what i should yeah. mate that, that doesn't sound half bad um i've just realized that i've blended into my environment today so if i go missing in the podcast i'll just wave my hands <laughs> around cuz uh white t-shirt with a white background does not look good uh you're repping the cmp though donut Oh, 100%. When you were at yeah, were, well, yeah, nice. When when you were at Fit Expo, uh, did you did you crush a couple donuts? No, I didn't actually. What? Oh no, that's a lie. I had I had one. You had yeah. one donut all day. Yeah, yeah, mate. I was stood by the loaded ISOs, just drinking them bloody things. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I was like, that's true. Uh, uh, Twenty-four grams of protein, one hundred fifty calories, no carbs, no sugar um no fat as well uh today it's uh <laughs> normally it's 55 pounds but today it's 35 pounds you get a 20 pound discount which normally ends up at 58p per scoop and before it was 98p per scoop so it was a massive discount it's in, <laughs> ingrained sucks. better than better than anything i've ever revised for so cmp thank you You've ingrained that <laughs> off in my memory. the dome i'll tell you um, what too that that information is going to be in your head for the next 30 years as well oh yeah. you're not getting I'll, rid of I'll be telling my kids about cmp you're welcome <laughs> good um, yeah it is good <laughs> stuff i had i i had some of like the iso stuff right yeah. after the run because it's the like i can't do way right after a workout because it's so heavy like it makes me feel sick but but that collagen stuff it's so refreshing so mate 100 percent. yeah I'd, i really like it but a nice beer a nice beer after is also really good <laughs> that is also very good <laughs> Listen back yeah, to our past point. episode where we discuss why that is so wrong. And actually, even though it is good, it's so wrong. Um, <laughs> That's right. Alcohol. Yeah. You have to go way back for that one. What was that? That was like teens. I love it? how we, we, do you know how crazy that is though? To say like, we have to go way back. We what episode 37. We go back to what episode yeah. like 12. It's still a fair bit back, but like, wait till we're in it's the hundredth episode that's we're gonna have to do something exciting i think once you, know you get kind to of 50 nice, though, episode that's like once you're doing it a year consistently i think that's now you've gotten out of the like oh we just started a podcast and it's gonna flop yeah you know? i'm gonna ask we should ask the viewers um what we should do for the 50th episode and how we should make it special what sort of theme yeah we should that's make a good it, idea it, oh, i'll do a post later about that that'll be decent um yeah or if you're listening like drop drop us a dm drop us an email drop us an email let us know what yeah what we should do or maybe we can it. do like some sort of giveaway as well yeah we'll get yeah what are you gonna say uh, no nah, we're not big enough to do that but i was gonna say a nice <laughs> thing is to know that we've got more followers and more listeners than episodes we've had out there so that's good that's good that's true that's true we hit 100 on spotify the other day which is actually really exciting triple digits for the boys on so spotify. To our 100th listener thank you so much and to our other 99 yeah. listeners I wonder thank who you so much was. for being there along the way um, who's who's followed us in the last three days let us know oh but what day is it if you've if you followed us between the dates of 
May twenty second and May twenty fifth. I think I know who it was. It couldn't have been him. You know who it was? I think it was um yeah, Joe Rogan. I think it was. I think it was. <laughs> he definitely put the five stars as well. It must have yeah, been. Yeah, him yeah. Oh wait, one sec one second. One I'm just get, just getting a call. Yeah. Rogi, is that you? <laughs> Man said Rogi. No, no, not a big deal. <laughs> Called him Rogi. Sort of He's never gonna come on now. And we're no, never no, gonna be allowed not. to go to him. No, we just have him, to be very unique Seb. so that he wants us to come on there. Yeah. Him and Sebzi, we we've both lost him. Both lost them as a friend of the podcast. Those are two people just... that are quite big in a in a sports news as well. Um, big in sports. Yeah. That's yeah. the worst transition yeah. I've done, I think, in every th- all these thirty seven episodes. But sports news. Dun, 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 dun. Um, Conor McGregor, the new documentary's come out. Don't know if you've watched it, McGregor Forever. I was a bit wary no. to watch it because I thought oh, it's just going to be another bit of marketing. I got so pumped after watching it. I love it. He's such so a. So what you're saying He's is so that good. they marketed it well. The marketing oh, worked really well. Really, really well. <laughs> I, I I watched it and I was ready to run a five k. Um, what about a forty two k? That will come in due course, David. In due we'll, course, we'll definitely. Yeah. Do that. In due time, we'll. Yeah, that yeah. So Conor McGregor, that that uh, McGregor forever. I'll give it a eight out of ten because he just loses in a lot of his fights that that gets displayed, which is a shame. It would have been nice if there was like a nice comeback story. Um, yeah. But what else is in there in the sports news? Well, well, I, I've got one. Do you have one before I go on? Because this ties kind of into what I'll talk about after I'll, anyway. So yeah, I'll I'll just hit with two more. So. Um, yeah. The next topic of sports news is McLaren have released their uh, new sporting, it's new livery for their car whilst they're in Monaco. It's quite a nice livery. I'll be posting that onto this podcast. Um, What's that? What's a livery? Uh, uh, so it's like the, the, the um, how do I describe it? Like the body of the car? Yes, yes. Like the paintwork, essentially. And they're calling Ooh. it the Triple Crown. It looks, the viewers, it, looks I will more, it looks more classic. They got for the hundred like listeners. It's white, black, orange. I think. Look like it. It is white, black, orange. It's so nice for the listeners. I'm glad you know your um, colors. They cheers, bro. Cheers. <laughs> um, and also, uh, quite a, I think a couple of days ago now, um, Arsenal have bottled the Premier League. They lost one 0 to Nottingham Forest. Very funny. Um, so Man City have won that. Brilliant, good stuff. And, and Arsenal, from Arsenal had it, uh, like Arsenal had it by its neck. Did, like yeah. they just didn't need. They didn't. They had it. They wow. <clears throat> it was they theirs were. to lose, right? Like yeah, they didn't. And they lost it. Crazy, completely. And they lost it. it. Right. But last bit of sports news. What's on your sports news? There you go. <laughs> nice. I'll cut nice. my mic off. <laughs> Um, yeah, uh, we're not a, we're not a CrossFit podcast, but we did, we did talk about CrossFit once. So Mal O'Brien has pulled out of the semifinals, um, which is, depending on where you are, like very intimate, imminent. In fact, I think it just happened this past weekend, the one that she was supposed to compete in. Um, and she, Tia, who's won it the last X number of years, um, isn't competing because you just had a child. And so Mal O'Brien was like the favorite to win. 
that everyone thought it was Mal's to win absolutely this year. So kind of a big deal that she's pulled out. And she's the second high-profile CrossFit athlete who's pulled out this season, in this CrossFit season, due to uh like personal reasons and obviously like they don't they're not saying exactly why and all that but um they just they like on both of their kind of statements they've said you know i need to take care of myself and um just in my personal things make sure that i'm all right and and like kind of alluded to the fact that kind of the pressures of this sport um and there's some things going on maybe in the background or whatever um but definitely like it seems that both of them have been due to personal reasons. And we have just talked at length over the last few episodes about mental health. How does mental health if is affected by sport and all that kind of stuff. So just very interesting that this happened uh, just over the last couple of days or past week or so. And we've talked about it. And it's the second high kind of profile uh, person who's dropped out this year. So um, I think, yeah, it, it just comes back to the recent chats that we've had about sport and mental health mm. and, and well, I'll get your, your kind of take on it, but um, over, over the last week at, at camp, I've, and it's been such an incredible week and maybe next podcast, we'll talk about it a bit more. Um, it's been such an incredible week, but, but one thing that I've been able to see are these high end athletes training, but not only training, I've, I've seen them outside of training, like driving, like, like driving to the track for an hour and back going for lunch after like having coffee, just like everyday kind of things outside of training that you don't see unless, unless you get to do what I get, what I get to do now. Right. You don't see that. So I think. And it just kind of reminded me like these, these people are regular people. And I think sometimes we forget that, that these high end athletes are actually regular people with like emotions, you know, and, and I think especially in a sport like athletics and even CrossFit, it's where it's an individual sport you might have like training partners and then obviously you have your coaches and your your support staff but you don't have another athlete who's like a team sport on your team you know what i mean so i think it yeah. can be very lonely sometimes and i think we forget that and we forget the pressures that these athletes are on uh, sorry the pressures that these athletes are under whether it's from them their support staff even if the support staff doesn't want to put pressure on obviously they kind of put that on themselves or if they're in like a, a bad coaching situation or whatever it is um or you know sponsors stuff like that and i think we we forget that at the end of the day they're very regular people um and yeah I think that for me, that was just like a very humbling thing to realize and, and to make sure that I don't forget, um, especially when I'm, you know, working with, with athletes at any level, but especially as you get up, uh, kind of to elite level to, to not forget that, that they're, they are regular people. Yeah. And I think to, to go on from that, um, a good book that I read that I recommend to anyone in sport, even if you're a practitioner, if you're an athlete, even if you're just coming up and you're doing sports exercise science, or even if you're in year 16 
year 16, even if you're in your year 12 A levels doing and you want to do sports and exercise science, a really good book to read that helps you dive into the mind of like an Olympic athlete and how it works is uh, Bounce, The Myth of Talent and the Power of Practice by Matthew Said. Seed, Syed, one of those, sorry if I've butchered it, but um, in that he was a, ten- a table tennis player and he spoke about how the, the, the mental strength that these individual sports players have in the sense that like before a match, they've got, so, even if you, so and for instance, he had a lot of expectations because he was seeded to beat everyone and win the, I think it was the Sydney Olympic Games, I'm not sure, but he had a mental coach because the last time he crumbled, he choked was the term he used. And he had a whole um, chapter on choking at the end. And he said that from then he had all this mental preparation. He had his routine fine-tuned and he was so focused. And all these table tennis players would go find where they were playing, they'd go to different areas, not just the change room. They'd find like different holes, like sort of like this one, lights off, and they'd just focus their mind, sit there in silence. And then whatever they practice with their mental coach or their uh, psychologist, they would just repeat it, repeat what they practice Mm. every time in training, before training, before training, they'd think about it, go through it. And you don't understand. And something actually in McGregor forever that you see is the, the, even though you're surrounded by 10 20 people when you're getting prepared for your fight when your hands getting strapped up you're still the only one there you're still the only one that takes that walk up to that stage you're still the only one that you have to rely on because no one else is going to help you once the lights shine on you it's just going to be you and the sooner you realize that and the sooner the people outside realize that and take accountability and go okay that is bloody tough because i sat there and i went i genuinely don't think i could do that because i know they've been doing it for multiple years but still to be that fine-tuned and in the end, Matthew, um, he he did choke, I think, in that um, instance. And he said once he choked, he just couldn't. In, at that moment, he was just, and then it's just once you go afterwards, after losing that game, after McGregor lost, you're just sat there once again, back in silence, back by yourself. Mm. Everyone can say whatever they want. Mm. And it still won't make a difference until you're that, mm. you're still so lonely because at the end of the day, you're the only one that can pull yourself out of that hole and people sometimes forget it's so about that. it's so interesting that's the exact same like it's an individual sport and like you said that was a, you have so many people around you but at the end of the day you're the only one in that situation and you need yeah. to go out and perform and if if it goes well it, it goes really well and if it goes poorly you know you're the one who did it and that's that's what's going through your head you know you're not thinking oh this person did that this person did that right it's you ran it you're you fought and and I think that's that it can be so um, lonely. Lonely is the right is a different word, but there's another word that I'm thinking of. Um, oh, I can't I can't ostracize. Anyways, no, no, but it can be isolating. It's so isolating. Go. Yeah, that's that's the word. And and for me, I think kind of going through that at camp and and coming to that realization and watching these athletes train and what they go through, but then also seeing that they're very regular people, you know, in mm. these unbelievable circumstances with this great talent, that my role as whatever it is, whether it's a physiologist or, you know, or whatever it is, SNC coach, is my role goes way beyond that. And I need to, and I need to make sure that, you know, that it's, it's not just me taking lactate at the track. It's me asking how their days, how their day's been, 
when they come in having you know seeing what movie they liked watching or stuff like that you know regular chats on the drive to training of of you know what do you enjoy doing or you know just yeah. that regular like the regular chat like you would to a normal person you know and and giving yeah. them that support outside of their kind of immediate sp- sport um yeah uh I think I think it's going to take me a while to kind of after the camp digest it all and then be able to actually speak about everything that I learned and how I can actually like apply it and how it would change what I do like the next time I go to camp or whatever. Yeah. Um but that was just one thing that especially with the Mal O'Brien story coming out as well that that kind of made me realize um at least one of the things that that I've been learning on camp. So and that's one of the main effects that can affect uh, affect these uh, individual performers. But what's another one is altitude. And you've been dealing a lot with that, haven't you, recently, David? I have. <clears throat> I have. So I thought it would be it would be um, appropriate to dive in a little bit into the research of the effects of altitude training physiologically. We'll stick physiologically both kind of at the at the blood level and the muscle level i was really intrigued as well of like what does it do to performance and also because in my undergrad i took an environmental physiology class and i remember hearing about studies on on sherpas and like tibetan natives and napolese i think that's how you say it who who have been born and raised at very high altitude like Mm. like 4,000 plus meters above sea level. And if they have, um, if they're actually genetically different than lowlanders or people who, like us, who don't go up or haven't been born at high altitude. So, um, yeah, I thought we would just kind of jump into that. And, and Sorry, and, and just to add on to that last bit, I'll be asking yeah. a lot of questions during this next topic. So just, <laughs> I'll be like the listeners right now. Um, but yeah, I read a book about that on like what altitude and they like to talk about nature and nurture. Which one is it? Is it the environment or is it genetics? So I'd like to I'd like to hear your opinions on that part of that subject later on. But yeah, let's dive in from yeah. the beginning. Yeah, yeah. So I guess the effects of altitude training. And and it I think it's sometimes difficult because there's levels of altitude obviously. So you need to make sure that you're like when you're reading or when I was reading studies and the effects of altitude, it was really important to understand like how high they went. Cause right now I'm at 1800 meters above sea level. Um, don't ask me what that is in feet times it by three. <laughs> if you're listening and, and want to know the feet. Um, um, and so that would be considered like moderate altitude. And a lot of studies have actually been done at high altitude at like 5,300. Classic one is you go to base, Everest base camp, and they take a bunch of stuff there and do tests there. And that's at 5,300 meters. So like the level of adaption is, can be quite significant, but let's, let's talk about it in the, in terms of performance. Um, Physiologically, when you go to altitude, the immediate acutely what happens is there's actually it, it bugs me sometimes when people say this when there's there's less oxygen when people yeah. say there's less oxygen um 
at high altitude, there's not the percentage of oxygen in the air is the same. It's 20.9 or 21% oxygen in the air at sea level, all the way up to like the end of the atmosphere. There's the same amount of the percentage of oxygen doesn't change, but the pressure changes. So the barometric pressure is way lower. And so that means the partial pressure of oxygen is lower. So the difference, because our body uses like partial pressures and pressure gradients to move oxygen from one area to the next. So like, for example, normally the partial pressure of oxygen in your alveoli, so like the sacs of your lungs, is about 104 millimeters of mercury at sea level. On the other side of that is your your red blood cells that the oxygen needs to get into. And the partial pressure of, of oxygen in your in your veins in your lungs that are looking to get to be loaded up with oxygen, the partial pressure of oxygen in there is usually about 40. So there's like this 64 millimeters of mercury difference between the two sites, right? So because one's higher, oxygen is going to naturally diffuse over to the lower side because there's less pressure there, right? Yeah. And then that happens all the way down the chain. So once it gets then to your muscle and then into your muscle, et cetera, et cetera, until it gets to actually like your mitochondria where aerobic um, aerobic respiration happens because the mitochondria is the powerhouse of the cell. Everyone knows that. When we go, When you go to altitude, the partial pressure of oxygen is less depending on how high you go. So where we are right now, the partial pressure of oxygen is about 20% less than normal. So it's about 80. So instead okay. of there being so instead of there being a 64 millimeter of mercury difference of pressure between the lungs and blood, there's now only was that 40? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> 40 millimeters of mercury difference. The problem is once you get down to the muscles, the pressure yeah. differences become less and less and less. And now all of a sudden, the muscles not as more. much oxygen is getting over because the pressures are different or not as different. So that's the problem. And this is really interesting. Above about 8,000 meters altitude, it's called the death zone above that. And there can be, the pressure can be so low that once it gets to the level of the tissues, the the pressure in the tissues can sometimes actually be more than the pressure of oxygen in the blood so then the then oxygen actually travels out of the tissues into the blood because the gradients swapped i saw a movie about it about everest people climbing up it's when your body just can't acclimatize anymore like there's no point training for it because you're just yeah so yeah above 8000 meters is is considered the death zone because yeah. you can't actually survive because the pressure is so little sometimes oxygen actually gets out of your muscles because the gradient is swapped over which is mind-blowing hey? um yeah yeah so that's what happens that's the problem with altitude acutely so immediately what happens is your body's like shoot we need more oxygen let's to our muscles we're gonna increase heart rate so increase cardio output to get more blood around and we're also going to increase breathing 
to try to take more breaths in to get more oxygen. And that's really interesting as well, because at normal, in normal conditions, actually, the level of carbon dioxide in your blood is what drives you to breathe. So normally, the baroreceptors, <clears throat> which measure pressure, measures, it's the pressure of carbon dioxide in your blood <clears throat> that drives your body to breathe the amount that it does, which is really interesting. Um, and it's not until there's quite significantly lower amount of oxygen that your body says, hey, we need to breathe more to get more oxygen in. It's, it's like we need to breathe to expel this carbon dioxide usually. And so what happens sometimes at altitude, and I notice this a little bit, not severely, but a little bit, is you can actually, especially when you sleep, because you're not controlling your breathing as much, you actually start hyperventilating because your body's saying, breathe more, get yeah. more oxygen. But you're hyperventilating, so you're breathing out all of your carbon dioxide. And at some point, your body says, whoa, we have no more carbon dioxide. Yeah, yeah. We don't need to breathe. And then you stop breathing. And, and at altitude, people, so they get like sleep apnea. So people will wake up in the middle of the night, gasping for breath, feeling super out of breath. And they're like, what was that? And it's because they actually stopped breathing. Because the body's like, we have no CO2. We don't need yeah. to breathe. And then, the, and then the oxygen plummets. And then your body's like, what are you doing? Breathe. Right. <laughs> so, that's, quite... that's crazy, isn't it? Like the yeah, balance no, between the two. And the, to try and get that right, so like, how would you actually, like, is there any way you can possibly, how would you combat that? Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, well, well, your body eventually acclimatizes to it. How so long? Like long term, long term, what happens is like, hey, the body says we need more red blood cells mm. um, and it releases what's called erythropoietin or EPO, which people take when they blood dope. What's the cyclist's name? Uh, totally forgot his name. Lance Armstrong. Mind blank. Lance Armstrong. Thank you very much. And TJ Delacroix. That's what he. That's another. That's what he did for years. Yeah. So they, yeah. So they like inject themselves with EPO, which is the hormone that tells our body to make more red blood cells. But when you go to altitude, it's natural. Um, so we release EPO. Our body makes a ton of red blood cells, which means we have more hemoglobin which means our, our blood can carry more oxygen. And then because of that, I think it, it balances out. So no, you're not any, your body is not driven anymore to breathe because of the low partial pressure of oxygen in your blood. That is if, if you're obviously not at such a crazy high altitude where even if you gain a lot of red blood cells, you, you still at such a low level of oxygen in your blood that you still have to breathe more. Um, but like here, it's not high enough that that would be a problem. Just to go into deep into EPO for a bit, just to give the listeners a bit more. Um, I quickly did a search, right? Listen to this though. Um, so I put how to, how, how is EPO used for like endurance as a PED, right? The first one, men's health, the amateur's complete guide to blood doping. Sick. Um, <laughs> but then, I, then I went to a more, a better source, Australian Academy of Science and erythropro poetin com more commonly known as epo which is what we'll stick with is a type of blood doping that can help improve an athlete's endurance produced naturally by the kidneys epo is also available as a pharmaceutical pharmaceutical 
EPO stimulates the production of red blood cells in bone marrow, bone marrow and regulates the concentration of red blood cells and hemoglobin in the blood. This is useful for athletes since red blood cells shuttle oxygen to the cells, including muscle cells, enabling them to operate more effectively. Um, it's a peptide hormone. Yeah. It can be produced synthetically using recombinant DNA technology. Carry on. Nice. Yeah, and that's what we want. We go to high altitude to try to get more red blood cells, partly, um, because if we can deliver more oxygen to our muscles that are working, our VO2 max will increase. And for some sports, VO2 max is a massive determining factor of performance. So if you can theoretically increase VO2 max of an athlete, their performance is going to increase. It's a little bit, it's not as cut and dry as that. And there's like, there's actually so much research going on to see if like altitude actually helps performance, which, which we could get into as well. And that depends like, you okay? Yeah. yeah. Like, do you? There's like live high, train high, which means like you live at altitude like I am now, and then you train at altitude. So part of the thought there is like you have an increased stimulus beyond your actual training stimulus. So you get like this massive kind of double stimulus to get adaptation from training. On the opposite side of that, some people say actually what happens at altitude is you can't train that hard because your body's not acclimatized. So actually, you're unable to train harder, which can actually have decreased impact on performance. I was going to say, so what then point some does people it say the training. Right, exactly. Yeah. So obviously, like if you went up to 5,000 meters, like you're going to have wastage of muscle because you can't exercise hard enough, right? But down here at 1800, I think like it's, it's high enough to get those adaptations of red blood cells and hemoglobin, et cetera. But it's not too high that a well-trained individual who's been here long enough, who's been here for, you know, three to four weeks can actually put in some hard sessions. That being said, there's another thing where it's live high, train low, where, and that's, that's what this camp does. Um, so we live at 1800 meters in San Moritz, but an hour away in Italy, it's 300 meters in Chiavenna or Chiavenna. Don't know how you say it. Chiavenna. So Chiavenna. Yeah, nice. Nice. And so, and so if, if they went down to Chiavenna a couple times a week so that if they had some hard sessions, some hard tempo work where they they needed the quality to be high and not limited by the altitude, they would drive down about an hour to do the session there. And that seems to work work quite well. And then some sessions they do up here. And, and sorry, is there a way to monitor that? Because I know there's obviously to say, okay, we're going to lower the, because these are uh, British, you know, athletes. Uh, is there a way to monitor it in the sense like, okay, we're going to put the hard sessions here, but how do we know, are there, is there any quantification that you can, put, you can to reinforce what you're prescribing, if you get me? Like what, what kind of measurements are you looking for? You know how there's, you don't want it to be a decrement of muscle wastage. Say you're training at that high mm. intensity at that level. At what point do you know when to stop? If you get what I mean, at what point, like instead to maximize your time out there, 
Yeah. Well, first thing that they do is they they stay out here for a minimum of three weeks, three, okay. four weeks. Because it takes about two weeks for the red blood cells actually to start increasing um, to a level that's like substantial enough to actually make a difference. Mm. So they're out here for at least three, like this month, this camp has been a month long. And most of the athletes have been here at least for three weeks. Um, and then I, I think what you can do is you can do HB mass tests. So most of the athletes will have done that before to see basically the, the, well, the, the mass, how much hemoglobin you have, um, in your body. And they'll do that after camp. As how well do they do those tests? Gotten an increase. Um, it's really, really interesting. Actually, they use carbon monoxide. Okay. They blow out in a tube that shows you baseline, how much carbon monoxide you have in your body, which usually is like a little bit like trace amounts from like being in traffic and stuff like that. And then they'll get somebody, they'll get the the athlete to take in a breath of pure oxygen enough to last for, for like 10 minutes. And then also inject a known amount of carbon monoxide that's relative to their body weight. Mm. So it's not dangerous at all. You've also just breathed 100% oxygen. Um, and and that is okay as well for the short term. And then after, so they breathe that in and out for about five or three minutes or so. And then they do three tests. They analyze how much carbon monoxide and oxygen is in the balloon that they've been breathing in and out of. So they measure that. They also measure how much carbon monoxide is in the blood through through taking blood samples, like small blood samples. And then they also check how much residual carbon monoxide um, was in your breath by breathing out into this machine again. So oh. you can kind of piece together where the carbon monoxide is. I and, thought it was just a prick on the finger. I, so that can, I think, like just blood can show you red cell count. Okay. But this this is taking it a little bit deeper. Red blood cell count, if I'm not wrong, is usually done as a ratio of your plasma. So like the rest of your blood. But if say if you're really dehydrated and and you have a decreased like plasma, but your red blood cell count is is fine, it'll look that ratio will be really high. But say you have the same amount of red blood cells but have a lot of plasma because you're really well hydrated, then it's going to look like you have less red blood cells. Okay. When, when in actual fact, those two people have the same amount. So this is actually looking at the mass of your hemoglobin. You use carbon monoxide because carbon monoxide binds to hemoglobin way better than oxygen does. Oxygen does, and it, it doesn't let go. So, so by piecing together where the carbon monoxide is after breathing in that and pure oxygen, which isn't dangerous because it's known amounts relative to body weight, then you can piece together where the carbon monoxide is and how much hemoglobin you have. Okay, so it's carbon monoxide rebreathing to determine hemoglobin mass pre-altitude. Mm -hmm. Okay, so maybe if I type in carbon monoxide rebreathing test, bloody hell, David, it doesn't... <laughs> I looked at images to see what it looked <laughs> like and there's just some guy strapped to like a... I don't know what, like a <laughs> a trolley and just something jammed down his throat. 
<laughs> that looks that's fun. Not... <laughs> that looks fun. That looks fun. I, I that's not it. what it is. Next time I'm in the lab, I'll I'll see if I if I if I can take a video of them doing it. They breathe into this tube that's not jammed down their throat, and then there's this thing that they like have to hold on to, and then just put their mouth around one end of it. On the other end of it is the balloon that they breathe in and out of that's filled with okay. pure oxygen and a little bit carbon monoxide. Okay. If you check the chat, you'll <laughs> I see. I promise. It. There's nothing. <laughs> There's there's no there's nothing uh, there's nothing down your throat. Awesome. Did you send it? To yeah, me? on the chat, on the chat, not on WhatsApp. Uh, <laughs> check check the Riverside chat. Oh, 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 oh. Um, hang on a second. Let me see. Let me see. Sent you two let different see, pictures, mate. Oh, jeez. Doesn't look good, does it? <laughs> that second guy uh, looks like it's going into his throat, mate. No, no. What is it? This do? one. Tickle, tickle if you click that second link, and there's like the Springer link. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the one. Okay. Yeah. Well, we'll have to pop it up. I'll see if I take a video of it. Anyways, bit of a bit of a tangent, but uh, yeah. So that's how they test it. And I think like if you know that you have a session that's a speed session where you're doing like four hundreds or two hundreds, where you want specific times, you know, where you want like your splits to be, I don't know, thirty seconds. And you don't want them. You maybe like twenty nine to thirty one is okay, but anything else would be kind of not what you're looking for. And you want to keep tight splits. That's when they go down and do it in low altitude to make sure that your training is high quality still. And then kind of your longer runs, or maybe a couple at the back end, more of the back end of camp when you're a bit more acclimatized, you do harder sessions up there, uh, or your longer runs. So. Yeah. And that seems that seems to have good impacts. I mean, there's been there's been um studies that show that increases VO2 max a lot. Um especially in people who are less trained, there's there's pr- probably a less of a difference than at people who are very well trained already, both in VO2 max increases as well as red blood cell counts. But then again, when you're thinking about athletics, when there's like the difference between first and fifth is like less than a second, you know, gaining, like we've talked about that 1%, mm. that 0.5% advantage is huge, isn't it? So, and it, and it seems also to be very individualized, which I guess everything kind of is anyways. So lots of like people adapt differently. Um, but yeah, that, that, that's kind of what the physiological effects in, in, in terms of performance, what happens? Um, a couple other things: your viscosity of your blood increases, so like the thickness of your blood increases yeah. because of more red blood cells. And also, so like you're at a when you go to altitude, your sympathetic nervous system is just through the roof because it's like what's going on, right? So your your thirst decreases, your hunger decreases. Not only that, you also your urination increases because your kidneys uh, release more bicarbonate to try to to try to buffer the lactate that's being produced at much higher rate because you're in a more anaerobic state. But what that causes is your pH of your blood to increase, so alkalosis happens, and so you you urinate more uh, to try to bring down your pH in your blood. That's more of a, at like a, a regular zone. 
And also you pee more because your body is getting rid of water that it doesn't need the, that it doesn't want to take the energy to warm up. It's like, we're expending so much energy now because we're at high altitude. Let's get rid of excess water so we don't have to work to heat that water up. So you're, you're not only are you drinking less, but you're getting rid of a lot more water than usual and your blood's getting thicker. Oh, so it's, it's incredibly important to rehydrate. Like it's important to have fluids then. Yeah. Yeah. Especially for like, obviously anyone, but especially for athletes who are needing to recover and they're expending so much, making sure that they're, yeah, that they're eating enough. Cause you're like the first two days I was up here, I wasn't hungry at all. Like making sure you're eating enough, making sure that you're drinking a lot of fluids, making sure those fluids like aren't just water, but like electrolytes yeah yeah higher in sodium as well so that your body tries to like keep that water just to um regulate the sodium that you're intaking um yeah so that's been really interesting to learn about that because like basically your body is just like fighting against itself and then you're trying to train and recover so to make sure that you're on top of that is is absolutely crucial um yeah so um that's 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 all i have for like kind of the performance impacts of of altitude um there's been some some interesting studies and maybe i'll go into this really quickly before we have to wrap things up go ahead but there's been really interesting studies uh looking at napolese and in and and populations of people who actually have been born and raised at high altitude so there's one study uh that looked at sherpas against lowland individuals or lowlanders is what we'll call them. And basically what they did is uh, they, they took them both to base the Everest base camp, which is 5,300 meters above sea level. So almost triple what I'm at right now. Um, and they looked at metabolic changes. They were really interested to see what happens at the muscle level metabolically between these two how are they different before and how are they different after like three weeks um and 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 see what kind of um yeah what kind of differences there are so the what they found actually is is sherpas had metabolic changes that allowed them to create atp or energy better through anaerobic means like glycolysis so they didn't need oxygen they could do it better without oxygen yeah but they were also able to buffer lactate better as well, which is interesting. Um, and they also had mechanisms to deal with oxidative stress better. And they were also more muscularly efficient. So they were able to use the oxygen more efficiently uh, than the lowlanders. And actually the lowlanders, it actually in both cases, mitochondrial density, so the, the density of or the amount of mitochondria you have actually decreases, which is, which is bad. I wonder if that's kind of like a use it or lose it kind of scenario. So there's like, there's not enough oxygen around to need all this mitochondria. So it just disappears. Yeah. Which is, which is interesting, but basically what they found is, is, um, is that actually the, the Sherpas had like genetical, genetical genetically different systems that they were actually 
able to handle the low oxygen environment better than lowland individuals, which is which is really interesting. Okay. It's, yeah. it's sort it's sort of like uh the Kenyans, and there was this book like Running with the Kenyans, um, where it's mm. just this guy that spent a couple months living with them, discovering the secrets of the fastest people on earth. And it was so interesting. I remember mm-hmm. one little story he said. He said he woke up and he woke up and already the people that he was living with had completed a marathon and were eating breakfast. And then he said, okay, what are you going to do later? He goes, oh, maybe do a bit of work and then we're going to run a marathon later tonight. And he was like, well, hold up. <laughs> well, wait a minute. We're all going to carry the boats, uh, not just you guys. Second. I want to carry some boats. Um, <laughs> but I think, and then there's a paper by um, Wilbur and Pitsiladis, butchering names today, um, in 2012. And then it's just it's titled Kenyan and Ethiopian Distant Runners, What Makes Them So Good. And they devised um, several factors that have been proposed to explain the extraordinary success of all these like, Kenyan and Ethiopian runners. Um, obviously, there was some genetic predisposition, but it was interesting to see that they could, they've developed like a high maximal oxygen uptake as a result of like the extensive time spelt doing all different activities that require energy expenditure at those sort of altitudes so like so, even something mm. as walking and running just casual tasks um by doing them at an early age it's allowed their bodies to adapt and well it's become advantageous for them and another thing as you said earlier relatively high hemoglobin um and a development of a good metabolic uh metabolic metabolic there you go saying it in my own special t- terms there you go. um metabolic economy and efficiency uh, efficiency mate get Get me back outside. Get me in the sun, man. Get me running with them Kenyans. <laughs> should we just go there? We should go there. But no. Um, yeah. Next podcast, episode 38. Even based on their somatotype <laughs> and like lower limb characteristics, they were found to have really, really short torsos, but their lungs, the running gait of some of these run, it's just, it's ridiculous. Oh. It's the way they can oh, reach long. so far and mm. just recover. Like there's no energy or any uh, physiologically yeah. they're different as well like lower limb they have longer achilles they also have a longer moment arm of achilles i've been reading so much about the kenyan's calf muscles man the last few weeks well the muscle muscle fiber composition is completely different they have like super small gastrox and just super massive long achilles so it's just like rubber bands on the back of their leg. especially imagine being able to absorb all that force and then once you get the the running economy, like they've learned it from a young age, once you get all of that, running these marathons and learning the best way to be so efficient that, so that no mm. absorption or any energy mm. is wasted, mm. do you know what I mean, from each stride? Yeah. I mean, you know, you yeah. see a lot of people, once they take that step, their back foot just sort of dangles. These lot, they've taken that back step and it's already here to re... It's, it's cyclical mm. to perfection. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's thoroughly interesting. And, you know, there was a lot of... There was a lot of uh, controversy surrounding like is it racial people immediately start putting it in a category of saying oh it's all all um all, all black athletes um are are good good athletes and then you know the, back in the day they were saying oh, all black athletes are very good athletes um it's because of you know it's because of the uh, uh, skin color but no they found that it was just it was mm. just environment and the years of evolving mm. evolution that have just predetermined mm. what they are today you know for being from an early age if you if you stick you or me okay not me uh, dense um if you stick yourself in from an early age growing up at there d- 
doing those things, waking up, doing marathons, running, you know, running that much, that much volume at mm. such high altitudes where your body has got one option and that is to adapt otherwise you're just gonna die do you know what i mean yeah i don't know that i would adapt as much as they would though because they like this study showed that it was actual like genetic differences from Mm. years and years of like not like selection um so definitely like i would be better off today if i was here since a child but say if I moved here and then my grandkids, kids, 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 you know, let me would actually have it have it in their DNA to be able to. I've got to use it. I've got a little RSS promise that I'm going to do again. I've got a really good part of this book and I need to remember what book it is, but I read it recently. I think it's Bounce again, where they talk about nature and nurture. And there was one specific part where they spoke about what I'm going to do is. I'm going to cut what I'm going to rest. I'm going to say, cause I don't want to get it wrong. And I'm just going to insert a clip of me talking about that chapter to everyone. Okay, cool. There you go. Uh, no, we'll, we'll just talk about it in another, in another podcast. That's fine. I'll, we'll just do it. I there. think it will be really easy. cool if it just cut to me going, hello everyone. This is a little announcement from Matthew. <laughs> this is what he said. When the back in the backyard. Yeah. Again, <laughs> guys, I'm on. in the sign. <laughs> um, but yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll look into that yeah 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 definitely definitely that'd be sick but yeah so just a little bit about altitude really um it's definitely shown to improve performance if done right uh if it's not too high you know and if you're able to still have extremely high quality training and sometimes you know vo2 max isn't the best determination of performance in some events right some events actually like top running speed is the better performance determinant but it definitely helps. So, um, especially in, in like 1500, 5,000 meter events, uh, where you do need your anaerobic and uh, anaerobic and aerobic systems, like firing on all cylinders. So, but yeah, it, we'll leave it there. It's been a, been a great, I'm, I really enjoyed kind of getting back into environmental physiology and reading some papers. So maybe next time we should do like what happens, deep sea diving and stuff like that. Go the other way. That would be a hundred. That would be do, amazing. Do do one on that. But if you have any questions, let us know. Um, I'll I'll toss the the um, the papers that I read in the description. Amazing stuff. Um, if you have questions, you know, and you're watching on YouTube, let us know in the comments. Let us know what you thought about this in the comments or any clips on our Instagram page. Follow us on Instagram. Um, thank you for a hundred followers on Spotify. That's exciting stuff uh I, i'm excited and yeah definitely you know if you if you like the podcast follow us subscribe definitely share it we would love for you to share it with with your friends and family so that we can just go on this ride together 100%. learn some learn some exciting things amazing thank you so much everyone matt take us out this is the rss podcast we're out mm-hmm.